0: We're going to start talking about mastery dispositions as one of our essential conditions I'm in so excited personalized this learning. so about
1: this is one of my favorite... It's like saying you have a favorite child, but this is one of my favorite essential conditions, I think.
0: Well, it's super important. It I mean, is. all of them are. That's why we call them essential. But, right. um So in case you don't know what a mastery disposition is, um, we've got a definition for you here. Um, we want to encourage learners to focus on a competency until they fully mastered it, such that no gap... Is perpetuated. We don't want students to say, maybe not acquire all the skills for multiplication, and then for the rest of their life think, "Oh, I'm not good at math." That's when right. maybe that gap has just been perpetuated throughout their education career, and really, had they just spent a little extra time on that multiplication early on, they they would have believed that they were great That's at right. math. We are hashtag no gaps here. <laughs> so. Um, A mastery philosophy also really means that any extra time you spend with a learner Mm -hmm. is valuable and important Mm -hmm. because it's saying, I do believe in you. I believe you can learn anything if you have enough time and resources supporting you. Um, If you don't believe that every student can learn... Then now all of a sudden, why, why would you spend extra time with a kid who you don't believe can learn something? That's right.
1: And also, sub-note, if you don't think that all kids can learn, this might not be the field for you.
2: Yeah. Education. I
1: mean, it might be time to think about other paths. Rebrand. Right? <laughs> pivot. It's time for a pivot. It's time
2: to pivot. <laughs>
0: So that's kind of our definition of how we're looking at mastery dispositions. Um, but this is also a disposition in a teacher's own reflective practice. You know, right. as teachers, we are always growing and getting better at our work. Mm-hmm. And um, as we learn how to achieve one component of our job, um, we've got to we've, we've got to spend the time that it takes to master those those pieces. Absolutely. And, and I'd also
1: add that from the student perspective, you um, Mastery for them is difficult, right? And here's this connection tangentially to all the other essential conditions. But to be able to have a mastery disposition as a learner, you need to be okay with your path being different than everyone else's, your pace being different with everyone else's. Um, And and to have the confidence to know that all effort towards ultimate mastery is valid and needed and useful and, and important and positive,
0: so how does, for my two colleagues here, how does grading fall into mastery dispositions?
2: Uh, hold on, let me get my soapbox. Do I have a <laughs> soapbox sound here. Yeah, yeah, let's talk about grading. I've been talking about this with my kids a lot lately, and, mm-hmm. and I've seen on Twitter there's been, there's been some chatter um, about grades, and uh, you know, are they relevant today? Are we doing it right, basically? Mm-hmm. Um, so that uh, so that kids are mastering their learning versus just learning. Let's say. Well, a, if we say uh, you, you got a, a grade. C
0: on your biology test, we're saying that you roughly uh, um, understood fifty or sixty to seventy percent of that content. And in mastery, we're saying that's that's not acceptable. We're not that's stopping right. there, mm-hmm. and so that's not going to be your grade. We're going to wait until you've mastered all of it. That's right. And we're going to keep working with you until you get all the way through. So a C doesn't make sense, except that it's just a step on the way towards mastery. It just shows you're partially that's right on your way towards mastery.
1: I think what I would hope that we move into is a realm where folks can view grades like I view the activity circles on my Apple Watch. That while at 9 a.m. I might have only had a quarter of my step circle filled in.
2: By 9 a.m.?
1: Yeah. A quarter. Stephanie,
2: she's going I'm to the going bathroom hard a today. lot at night. <laughs> that's getting up and going to the potty a lot at night. Stay
1: focused here, not on my potty habits. She's a morning
0: jogger, right?
1: Um, <laughs> but but that that's not the end of my day. That's not the end of my goal. Just where that's just because that's where I'm at right now. So if we think about that sort of donut hole experience of mastery that donut is going to fill in at different paces at different times and after certain learning experiences at different paces and times for kids um now people always push back when we push on grades and say, well, how are they going to know where they're at? How are we going to let parents know how they're doing? That looks very different in a right. personalized learning in a mastery driven environment. Reporting has to be so formative and so frequent and so flowing that there's no breakwater on a nine week mark or on a semester mark or on a whatever made up mark that we create, that it's always available. Um, and People get anxiety about that because it does require them to be very timely in their assessing. And I don't mean assessment just in tests. I mean in any kind of formative way that you could imagine, and also self-reported by students, right? But I think that's where we start to see that technology can help to, to shoulder the burden a little bit in that always available, transparent, and real-time analytic about where a student's mastery progression lies, that it doesn't have to be a stack of papers a teacher takes home over the weekend and you know gives even more of themselves and their personal time, right. um, that it can be a little different.
0: So there's a fella out there, um, who's been talking about getting rid of grades for a long time, and mm-hmm. some of you may have heard of him. His name is Alfie Cohn. Yes. Have you heard of Alfie? Yes, I know All Alfie. All right, so Alfie's written several books on this, and the idea is that grades are, as we have been doing them traditionally, are actually harmful to students' motivation and learning, and that um, really, uh, and I think he used the term, it's they are degrading, so therefore we need to degrade,
1: look uh, at that, yeah, I think that's his
0: that's his words. I've no. only had
2: one cup of coffee <laughs> that might have been too much for me <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs>
0: so so, so Alfie um so you can read up on Alfie to get kind of some background and a wealth of literature to read yes. um on removing grades for the, mastery focus
2: yeah, I love that and I'm gonna sidebar real quick and just just remind teachers that um. When we talk about personalized learning, we're not talking about a new initiative, right? This is why personalized learning is a paradigm shift. This is all new. That's right. It's not another initiative. It's not reform. It's new because, as you know, it's as fundamental you, change. Yeah, and if you listen to the show, uh, you'll hear us talk about these essential conditions. And these are, it's a, things are different: grading, assessment, reporting, all these things. Are different. Not just, you know, I mean, we're not talking about just a little shift in what it looks like. That's we're right. not going from 95s to A's to ones and twos and threes. Right. We're talking about, you know, you either mastered it or you didn't. That's right. And keep working. Now, if you have it and, I do th- and that's okay
1: i do think that there are steps in the right direction you can take as with everything you can't just go to the dj booth and slide all the toggles up if anissa did that right now we'd be listening to traffic and weather background a promo and all of us but i think there are districts um that are starting down the, the work towards a standard mastery progression so they're taking traditional standards and pacing guides They're saying we need to prioritize these standards and we need to compartmentalize them into competencies. And then we need to allow for demonstration of mastery on multiple standards, maybe at one time with one piece of evidence, or we need to allow for the progression through competencies to look different. So Folks are starting this work. There's big money right now tied to the work around competency. That's a hot button um, word and phrase for folks. Lots of funding out of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Lots of funding through the Chan Zuckerberg Foundation around competency. Um, So people are starting to think about this differently. I just hope that we're not um, revolutionizing the same systems. I want to call people to action in a different paradigm so that we don't just create to andy's point instead of abcd we have one two three four (laughs) and instead of you know all of these things that we just recreate the wheel we don't need a wheel anymore we need a jet plane um And I also think there's some pushback, I think, from, you know, secondary schools and from parents and maybe some students that, well, what happens if I don't have this traditional GPA? What happens if I don't have this traditional transcript as I apply to, you know, my Ivy League schools or my
0: KSUs or wherever they want to go? And so any thoughts about that from you guys? So I think universities are open uh, well. I, let me let me start over with right that just a little bit. So I think it depends on the type of institution I that agree. you're looking at. So I think that um, there are some very traditional institutions that are very research focused that have can be extremely selective and therefore they can they can kind of dictate what they expect to come to them in terms of documentation of student skill. Although, um, I will say that when they get out into the workforce, the workforce is demanding a different set of documentation now. Right. And so universities are feeling pressure on both sides, both in um, at entry by getting these different documents other than transcripts that just give a GPA and right. a list of courses, right. but also the diploma itself and the transcript that they are giving is having... Well, I should say that industry is questioning the relevance of that sure. and the value that it offers them. They want to know exactly what students can do and have um, can perform in the workplace. Sure. They're not really worried about what grade they got in Western Civ.
1: Yeah, and I think that's why we start to see a lot of push back to um, pathways where there's apprenticeship early on in career fields. But I also think it's interesting to sidestep this next to um, – you know, some of the different currencies that we're starting to see come mm-hmm. out. And I know, Anissa, you've looked into a lot with the Bitcoin situation and what that might look like. Sure, for... it's all
0: built on blockchain That's technology. That's right.
1: Um, and so using that blockchain technology to potentially hold a canvas of learning for an individual that looks mm-hmm. different from different places, not just institutions of higher education and maybe in certain career fields, it is heavily, you know, garnered in the higher ed seen maybe in some it's not.
0: Maybe your educational blockchain record will show not only a degree from a university but also some um continuing education right. competencies that right. you gained by, you know, going to Con Ed here at KSU or some that you maybe some certifications you got through um other organizations right. and private right. providers.
1: I just think about, you know, the massive learning that took place for me. Um, when I lived in Spain and did, you know, shout out to the camp adventure folks at the university of Northern Iowa, um, at the headquarters. And then at my alma mater at the university of Toledo, I spent that time teaching and learning, um, in Spain. And it was transformational as far as my teaching practice, my, Mm -hmm. my philosophy, my ideals, um, Yet, you know, I got some credits randomly about, you know, camp management and leisure studies, um, which didn't apply to my traditional transcript. I mean, I have that sort of dangling transcript from UNI, but it didn't it, it wasn't qualified and quantified in a way that really dictated the kind of experience that it was. And so in a mastery environment, I, as the learner, could have proposed a piece of evidence of mastery that I could have taken back to some of my professors in my pedagogy classes and said, here's an example of how I've put this into action already. Maybe I don't need to go through a teaching philosophy six-week program. Maybe I have one because of these experiences. And can I
0: share that with you um, and move forward? So there are some universities that are interested in um, not only receiving Alternatives to transcripts, but then also yes. providing alternative um, transcripts. And those discussions are taking place now. And right. you see some universities um, produce, produce um, students with those new competency-based transcripts. And we see that out of um, northern Arizona. Yep. Um, we see that out of... Oh, there's a popular one that teachers get their degrees from out west... All right, I'm, it's not, yeah. I'm, and I'm it's a competency it. based program. Yeah. They move at their own pace.
1: I know. I can't think Someone of it now that you're us. I know. Uh, Someone tweet, it, tweet, it, tweet us, tweet us out, out online I program. Hashtag Western Governors University. Sorry, just took me a
0: minute. Western
2: Governors yes. University. We do that as
1: well. <laughs> alumnus from Western yes. Governors. Um,
0: but KSU, you know, these are things that we've been experimenting with and we will continue to as well That's right. here. And yeah.
1: speaking of the experiment, not to jump the gun on this, but you and I are going to be going down the rabbit hole a little bit with this course on personalized learning that we plan to launch this summer and really turn that into a mastery progression as much as one can with the university structures and policies the way that they are. But I'm excited to see how that goes and to get some honest feedback. So anybody out there that's going to be in that course, make sure you're honest about it.
2: (laughs) Fantastic. This is great conversation, ladies. And I want to address a couple of things. So Roxanne at work Uh, First and foremost, thank you very much for listening. Roxanne is out in Gwinnett County right now. She's listening. And she's got a question um, for you, Anissa, that says, uh, uh, talking about grades. She said, the C you mentioned sounds like a criterion reference to C. And kind of her question is, what do we do with norm references in a mastery disposition approach? So think about that. Um,
0: Well, I don't think that norm referencing anything in a mastery approach is appropriate, which I think is what she's cluing in on. Right. That norm referencing now just tells us arbitrarily, you know, where there is a common collection of people who have achieved a certain level of knowledge. And that's a marker
1: against average, which anybody who knows me knows that I'm a big fan of Todd Rose's work, the myth of average and the end of average, his research out of the um, Harvard school of education, like, really the average that we created norm referencing around is a farce it's not real well it's very artificial we've created
0: a certain date when everybody's going to start learning a certain content and then we're expecting them to acquire it all together at a certain rate
1: and i mean think about this anyone who has kids, been around kids, teaches kids, you see this, you know, even within my own children. I had a walker at 10 and a half months and I had a walker at 18 months. I had a speaker at, you know, 11 months. I had a speaker at two. All kids progress differently. And and whatever timetable, even the pediatrician will tell you, you know, when you meet, quote, milestones, right, um, against a norm referencing of a, a sampling of children, that those are just a dipstick into the middle of the pack, mm-hmm. um, and and again, I would encourage you know anybody who's thinking about dispelling that average to check out Todd Rose's work. It really was based in this idea that um, they were trying to create a cockpit for pilots, and were taking the average measurements, both height and weight and wingspan and arm length and leg length and chest girth and all of that to create this ideal cockpit that ended up fitting no one
2: because they
1: tried to build it against an average and nobody is average in everything right we are a jagged profile and mastery is required to measure that jagged profile both physically and intellectually academically emotionally we can't just drop a line in the sand on a congruency and say that that's who we are
2: I, I was astonished when I read the end of average at yeah. at exactly at the percentage of all of us who are not average in those average measurements. I mean, really, to I mean, it was so, like under 10 percent, some ridiculously low number that that the actual population fits into that group. And if we apply that same thinking to school, right, right if we say and the assessment. average third grader should be able to do this then in reality we're looking at maybe 10% of our third graders or less that are there. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Well, so this is where, and I think Roxanne is making the point, like criterion reference mm -hmm. testing instead is the idea where we're just looking to see if they've met a criteria. We're not comparing their score based on a stated To Johnny's score. Right. And so criterion referencing um, as a, a means of testing is something that, Stephanie, we've talked with some of the school we systems about, about how can we um, provide a criterion reference test that allows students to take a test, you sit down at a digital test, right. and it be flexible enough and adjust enough to them that That's it right. can move them through anywhere in the curriculum to see what you know, criteria or competencies right. they've achieved.
1: And I think we're we're close to that. I mean at least the actualization of a first version. You know, let's consider here in the state of Georgia we've got the milestones assessment. Sure. That question bank, those um, assessment questions and bank of resources are already there for every standard that would be in a competency map for a child. So
0: why not stuff them all into a that's single it.
1: digital test that's and, it. Let and make it adaptive.
0: Adaptive exactly and, and
1: I think the key to that is to making things machine readable which we know we have the technology to do and then it's just to allow for not just in April for everybody to swarm the hive and take this assessment but you know if you see a kid that's demonstrating a lot of mastery early on give them that assessment. See how well they do. If you see a kid that you think is struggling, if you see a kid that's bored and they need a confidence boost, if you see any of those indicators, let the kids assess multiple times. Again, mastery says that until you master, you can have
0: multiple and innumerable attempts. But if this assessment, like the Georgia Milestones was adaptive, couldn't everyone still take it in April, absolutely. At the same time, and the questions will get easier or harder based
1: on their response. Based
0: on their response. I mean, we've all
1: set in those exams. I use the example all the time of me taking the GRE, and you know, the second quantitative section that I got was like achievable because I must have just bombed the first one so bad. <laughs> but. It adapted and responded to how I was, you know, performing and gave me things that were a true measure of my competency.
0: So it would just place a student on the continuum of K through 12. That's correct. Here's where you fall in your math knowledge. That's right.
1: That's right. And so again, if we think back to those activity circles, you know, let's think about how full each content area gets and, and let's allow kids to have an authentic, this is another essential condition, um, an authentic assessment and a responsive and, uh, and adaptive assessment that really makes sense for them. Mm-hmm. So, back to Roxanne. Yes, we mean criterion, but we mean it in a in a two point oh three point way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: yes, absolutely
2: fantastic. And so, while we're there, um, I also want to talk about if we for for our teachers out there that are listening, what can our teachers do right now? in the classrooms to practice or to move towards a mastery disposition in the classroom. So what are some practices that, uh, that are practical and that teachers can start doing right now sure. to help them move towards mastery dispositions? Uh,
0: so I'll tell you one. Yeah. Uh, because I had a student, uh, a doc student, Daniel Gagnon out of uh, Cherokee County. He did his dissertation on the flipped classroom. And he flipped his classroom and allowed his students to take the quizzes and assessments as many times as they needed to get whatever score they wanted. So they would go into the class with him and ask questions and get help and do better and then go home and take the quiz again and again. He had some students who took the quiz quiz once, got an an A, didn't bother to take it again. Mm -hmm. He had one student who would take each quiz over 30 times.
1: But, you know, what a great indication of that didn't require him to carve out instructional time to take those assessments. So here you see a really good shift in instructional strategies and practices Mm -hmm. that balances the need for that constant assessment for for that student who wanted that constant assessment and the ability to gain mastery.
0: The student was so motivated to master that content Mm -hmm. that they were willing to invest the time And the flipped classroom really helps you. A- allow the student with agency to invest more time than right. what maybe you have in the physical classroom. Yeah. So that's one strategy. And what I
2: think is cool about that is the piece that, that we can't see is that when that student was coming back to class, the questions that are being asked and the thought processes and the things that are going on in the student, the way that the student is working towards mastery as much as the mm-hmm. teacher is allowing for mastery. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really a two-way street and they go hand in hand. But um uh, I practiced that always when I was in the classroom as well. I let kids retake and take because I wanted to make sure they were learning um, and they could demonstrate that they were learning. And that was the the questions that come from it mm-hmm. um, were oftentimes uh, their generated questions were more meaningful to them than oftentimes a lot of the questions I could have posed in a class. You know, it's just different angles and different approaches, and it's their language. It's, it's their verbiage. and. Right. Um, you know, it helps them understand when, when they're the ones driving the, the learning, driving the questioning.
1: So another thing I think would be helpful for folks in classrooms to hear is what this does not look like. Okay. Um, because I think what we see right now is just, um, this is how we do it. We give the homework, we give the quiz, then we give a test, then we remediate if we have to, a couple of kids. And so I would challenge everybody to question why you give the assignments that you give. And Let's just all take an honest glance at that. Is it because it's giving the opportunity for a student to gain mastery or is it because you think you need grades in the grade book and them to be busy? Um, Mastery is not busy work. Mastery is not assignments for the sake of assignments. Mastery is not, well, they finished early, so I'm going to have them do some additional work. That's not mastery. Um, That sounds like punishment. Right. Well, and really, truthfully, here's what also mastery is not. Mastery is not a homework calendar set out for every student that's going to get the same assignments every day for a week or for a month. And, yes, elementary school teachers, I'm calling you out a bit. And please know that I love you and I don't vilify what you're doing. That's a manageable thing for you to be able to create good practice activities. It is so hard. (laughs) Listen, I've been in my daughter's third grade classroom enough to know that not on any day in any reality could I hack that out. I yeah. am a middle school teacher through and through, but they were weird enough to accept that. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I just want to give people the opportunity and I think the freedom to say, this isn't good enough anymore, what I'm doing is not good enough, and it's killing me as a teacher. Think about all those assignments that I have to then hopefully grade. I mean, unless you know, our friend Heather Cox used to admit truthfully when we presented together that she'd give kids assignments she'd turn them in or they'd turn them in she'd check it off in the grade book and then bye-bye in the recycling bin with no feedback i mean good night we have all done that right but no feedback no grading no no real assessment of mastery whatsoever just true true busy work and what a demoralizing practice for all learners. Think about yourself as a, as a professional, as an educator, when you have to sit in a training or sit in a, a course or a class where you just go through the motions, go mm-hmm. through the I, motions.
2: That's how I got through high school. I, I really, I didn't do homework. It right. was a personal choice. I didn't find it very beneficial. It didn't mean that much to me. And I could go in to class and sit down and take the test and make an A. Um, you know, and I lived through high school with C's because they, again, they took the average. It didn't matter that I, I demonstrated that I mastered the information on the assessment. Um, you know, I didn't jump, jump through all of those hoops. Right. Um, I think
1: the other thing, too, is, you know, there's this um, sort of pandemonium around proving your work and showing your work, especially in math. Um, and especially with an adaptation and an adoption of new curricula, this idea that we have to use all six strategies, um, to show that we can add and subtract, or we have to use all four strategies to show regrouping and subtraction or subtract by adding and all this crazy nonsense. Mastery is, can you find the correct solution?
2: Right,
1: which way makes more sense for you? Right, mastery is not the mastery of all of those different kinds of strategies. Strategies are a toolbox that you can grab from when you need them. Right, so we've we've turned a good thing in providing multiple strategies to kids do a bad thing by holding them accountable for things that they don't need.
2: Absolutely. They need to
1: find the way that works for them to demonstrate mastery Absolutely. and then they need to move it through.
2: And we are I see you getting readiness, so let me jump in real quick. We are running close to time, but I do want to address real quick feedback because I think yes. we can't talk about grades and we can't talk about mastery without talking about feedback. And this is the critical piece here that um, you know there's there's plenty of talk and we've even got some some old research that says um, that grades, as, as Anissa said, are, are degrading our kids, um, but that feedback is the magic bullet, and that mm-hmm. kids learn more and they grow more from thoughtful and meaningful feedback
0: qualitative feedback yeah, that's right without a grade no
2: actually yeah with no quantitative piece to it that right. that you know the research says that feedback plus a grade is just as bad as the grade they look at the grade and they stuff it away without reading your thoughtful meaningful feedback versus
0: I even see this in graduate school I mean oh, sure, so yeah. if our adults are doing that our students certainly our K12 students are certainly doing that students want to see well, when you turn in a paper, they want to see that you read it. They put in a lot of effort. Yes. They spent time on it. They want to see that their work has been heard, read, consumed. That's right. And appreciated. And so just by showing them that you have paid attention to their work, their work has relevance because you were their audience. And so if we just grab a paper, we look at it, it's like 12 pages long, handwriting's neat. Uh, A, slap an A on it and throw it out out the window to the student, Mm -hmm. if your students are standing outside your window. But I don't know where that came from. Anyways, (laughs) Um, the student's not going to see the relevance of that assignment. That's right. And they're not going to believe that it was valuable, and they're going to believe it was a waste of their time. When you give them qualitative feedback that describes what they did well, where they can improve, um, maybe a new rule in grammar that they didn't know about, or uh, a way that they can, you know, they're f- consistently forgetting to carry a number. That sh- shows to your learner that you're paying attention and their right. work is valued. Right. And um.
1: And I think that doesn't mean you don't find errors and things to correct. You to your point, finders. I think that when you start to shovel on, whether it's all positive or all perceived as negative, but what we really want is constructive feedback, if it's all positive or all negative, it becomes um, sort of, you know, benign. There's no value there. So it's really a good mix of intentional feedback. And that's something I would challenge all educators and leaders because they don't do a great job of this either, myself included. I spend a lot of time learning and reading about good feedback and what that looks like. And um, one of the, the greatest books that I've, you know, read so far in this regard is Start With Why. Um And asking more questions than I'm giving responses in my feedback, which is great. What
0: about when school systems say, oh, the principal's got to do three walkthroughs during the year for every teacher and the principal is rushing through to get all of that done? I mean, what what I would say,
1: use the same strategies that we want teachers to use. Flip those walkthroughs get the lesson notes ahead of time. Have a pre-conference asynchronously where you're just in the document asking questions and clarifications. Live Google Docs, super easy. Spend honest time in someone's classroom without being on your phone, without being on your notepad, without being distracted. Ask questions of students and in five to ten minutes, truthfully we do this all the time, in five to ten minutes you can tell 100% what that's, that that classroom is operating as and have a good face-to-face post conversation where you give honest feedback and then write your document then fill out the, the tools that you need to um, so I think that there's you know a lot of good work to be done in feedback and I would just I would challenge everybody to think about the feedback that you give and the feedback that you receive. We can learn a lot of lessons about how we want to do better and be better based on what we receive from
2: others. Absolutely. Absolutely. Fantastic. So we're going to uh, wrap up our conversation uh, on the air here about mastery dispositions, but please. We'll be online. uh, Yeah. Let's keep the conversation going. And thank you
1: Roxanne for chiming in.
2: Absolutely, Roxanne. And we see you um, we appreciate you. Let's keep the conversation going. Hashtag I teach live. Um, you can use the hashtag t- hash mastery dispositions, um, to tag the conversation on mastery dispositions. And so. again,
1: for those who want to read more about this or see what, um, you know, sort of standards of practice we would prescribe for mm-hmm. those mastery dispositions for both the educator and the learner, please check out the white paper. It's again at bagwell.kennesaw.edu forward slash personalized learning.
2: There you go. And if that's too hard, iteach.kennesel.edu. We got it right there on our homepage And we can well. tweet
0: it out later today, too.
2: Yeah. And actually, it's I think tweeted. Roxanne tweeted it yes. out. So follow Roxanne at work. <laughs> we'll give her at readahead1. That's Roxanne at work. I think she to tweeted Roxanne it out. Roxanne
0: some swag,
1: so you need to DM us your Absolutely.
2: Address. Yeah, Roxanne, send me your school or something. We'll send you a, uh, an I Teach Podcast shirt and get you going. So um, you're listening to I Teach Live.